Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everybody. This is Heidi Keeler, your host of RN Huddle. Thank you so much for tuning into our episode today. And we are really looking to dive into some topics that are front and center in our nursing world right now. And today we're going to bring a topic to you that is rather somber, but at the same time, something that we really need to talk about and address as professionals and as those on the front line of care during a pandemic. So we are going to take a look at moral distress and compassion fatigue and really dive into those concepts. And to do that, we've invited a very special guest today. Her name is Amy Stewart, and she is the Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for the American Association for Post-Acute Nursing. And that is just one of many hats that she has. And we cannot thank her enough for being here today with us. So let's get right to the interview. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Well, thank you for having me, Heidi. I, I think you hit it right on the head. This is a somber topic, but I'm going to try and uh, leave you with some tips and tricks to kind of pick yourself up. As Heidi said, my name is Amy Stewart. I am the Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for the American Association of Post-Acute Care and Nursing. And we have two associations, ANAC and AADNS. And I am thrilled to be joining you today from Ely, Minnesota. That is where I live. I moved here from Chicago a few years ago. So for those of you who have warm climate, I'm very jealous and I'm up here. And uh, although it's sunny, it's very cold here in Minnesota today. Thank you so much for that introduction. You know, I am quite certain that you did not just fall into your role as vice president, that you have a rich experience list. And uh, just to put you on the spot here, I'm wondering if you could highlight a couple of your favorite experiences that helped you to get to where you are today. Sure, absolutely. Heidi, I have spent over 20, I think it's, I think I'm getting really close to 25 years as a nurse in long-term care. I actually started out, like many people in the long-term care industry, start out as a CNA I was actually a nurse aide for home health and then went to school to be a paramedic. And from there, I was an associate degree nurse for a long time and working in a number of facilities in a number of roles. And throughout my career, I you know, decided I wanted more and more education. So I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree, got my master's degree. And I have worked in so many different roles in the facilities in long-term care. Everything from the nurse on the floor, you know, passing meds to the vice president of clinical reimbursement. I've done some work in the quality field in long-term care. I have also done wound care. I could go on, probably take up the whole time of the podcast with the (laughs) various roles. Um, But I have to say that long-term care is, obviously, it's my passion. But my real passion, though, is... I tell, you know, when somebody says, what do you do for a living? I say, I am now a nurse who takes care of other nurses so they can take care of patients. So that is my unofficial title. And that um, is role. 
incredibly inspiring and it really highlights the fact that nursing uh, just has so many open doors and so many uh, ways to get to different places on the care front. Um, Like you, Amy, I actually started in long-term care as well. As a CNA, I started right on the front lines there as a CNA and worked my way up just as you described as well. And although I've done different things in nursing, you never can get rid of your first love, can you? <laughs> no, sure so, can't. <laughs> and, and as all of our listeners know, our co-host, Renee Pollan, who isn't with us today, uh, is a WOCN and uh, loves all things wounds, as we like to say. So lots of common interests here. So thank you for sharing that, Amy. Sure. So anyone in the long-term care arena knows the influence and the great work of the American Healthcare Association and the National Council on Assisted Living. And I was a participant in their recent annual conference and uh, noticed that you had an amazing presentation on the topics that we are focusing on today, uh, moral distress and compassion fatigue. And And so I'm wondering if you could maybe give us some highlights as to that very important topic, maybe starting with the definition of both, and then maybe we can get into that, what what that definition actually looks like when you're on the floor or in a leadership position. Certainly. You know, Heidi, when I started, I guess I was reading something, you know, I I read a lot of research, I read a lot of nursing journals, uh, and and the word compassion fatigue came out, uh, you know, just hit me one day when I was reading and I said, well, what is this? And, you know, what does it look like? And, and I felt for the first time that my nursing friends, my colleagues that are out there in the facility were suffering from this and it had a name and they didn't even know it. And so I, you know, I started with compassion fatigue, which is a state of exhaustion and dysfunction as a consequence of prolonged exposure to suffering and stress. And I want to preface this with when I first read this, it was like maybe April or June. So imagine as COVID has lasted and where you've got this second and third and whatever wave we're on, the exposure to the suffering and stress is just it's just continuing on far longer than I ever, ever imagined, you know? And then when I was digging, I was like, okay, I got this compassion fatigue. Interesting. What do we do? How do we protect our nurses? And as I was reading, I came across moral distress. You know, the definition of moral distress is when one knows the morally right thing to do, but they're prevented from doing so by some sort of constraining factor. And I read those two definitions and I stopped and thought, okay, nurses need to know we're not alone in feeling these things. I was, and just to give you some background, I was busy feeling guilty. I wanted to do more. You know, I exactly what you mean. Yeah. If you're an educator or, you know, you're not working the front lines, you're like, what can I do? And so I, I read this and I'm like, I can do something. I can, I can help um, get the message out that we need to take care of one another. We, you know, and this message could be for individual nurses. It could be for nurse leaders or even hospital executives, CEOs of organizations that might be needing to hear this message to know, hey, we have to take care of our own because when you don't, 
uh, you know, some really interesting and not so great desirable, things. Right. Not yeah, so desirable I mean, outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's you, in fact, my favorite term is when you do nothing, you have unfavorable outcomes and that's why we need to intervene and put interventions in place. And, and if I could just for a second, explain what happens to a person a little bit, um, just to give some background for our listeners, a crisis happens. And then it so in this case, COVID, and then you have these stressors, right? You have, oh my God, I'm overworked and we don't have enough staff. And this, this angst that just builds, I mean, you're, you're feeling guilty. You're afraid you're going to bring COVID home to your family. Maybe you're working in a facility that doesn't have enough PPE, or maybe they've opened a COVID wing, whatever it might be. These things weigh on caregivers and those stressors add up and they lead to what's known as a stress injury. And if we don't do anything in this case, let's say we do nothing and this stress injury just goes on. Things like burnout, PTSD, substance abuse, these are the things that happen to the caregiver. So this is what's happening to nurses across across the world, really, when you think about it. But if we put interventions in place, and I can talk about those interventions, that's how we get coping and recovery. And that's where we need to be as nurses. We need to take care of ourselves and do things so that we can cope, recover. And Heidi, did you know, one of the things that I found interesting is you could actually learn to build resilience over time. I mean, it's not just one and done, you either have it or you don't. You can learn. Yes. And in listening to you and listening to these concepts and the descriptions, you know, this isn't a new thing. These concepts have been known and talked about in mm-hmm. literature and such for quite some time. Mm-hmm. In fact, burnout, the, the term moral injury is closely associated with well-being and burnout. And, and here at UNMC, we've had uh, lots of conversations and, and movements to try and resolve that for our clinicians, interestingly, before the pandemic hit. And so if they were a problem before the pandemic, how much more exacerbated is it now? And, and what are those exacerbated outcomes based on that? It's, it's critical that we intervene. Right. You know, you, you bring up a good point. You know, I know, I realize these terms, if you will, have been around, I think both of them in the 90s-ish, you know, when I was doing my research. But here's what I guess for me, you know, again, I predominantly work with long-term care providers and nurses, and I knew that this was going to be a newer term for them, mm-hmm. you know, because p- compassion fatigue and moral distress were often seen. Well, let's take moral distress. I think it was most faced by acute care hospital nurses. So I felt like the acute care hospital nurses might have an idea of these terms. But I felt like the nurses in long-term care specifically didn't have a lot of knowledge about these terms and what it meant. Um, And you wonder too, if just the setting difference in itself, having a longer-term relationship with your residents and having relationships built up with family members, how much more so would they be affected by these things? Exactly. And you know, Heidi, they were, again, I mean, this is just where my background is, but they were facing things they've never had to face before. 
So for example, and, and this is the one thing, this, in fact, this is the story is the, how the ball got going, you know, how I got interested in this and doing the research is somebody had called me and they were, an, it was a nurse. And she said, I honestly, Amy, I don't know how much more I can take of this. I have patients who are dying and they are dying alone. And we used to be able to have either allow family to come in, right? Or we were able to go in there and sit with them. And unfortunately, we have a critical shortage of PPE. We have to go in and preserve our PPE for these interactions that are must-have interactions. And so she was just distraught by the fact that she couldn't sit with somebody who was dying. This was an ethical dilemma that this person had never faced before. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the toll it took on her because this happened, you know, in the early on, it was like one here or one there today. This has happened to this nurse and maybe, you know, the PPE has gotten a little better. So she's been able to do some interactions, but there's, they were still not allowing a visitation. So a lot of people are dying without their family and it's taken a toll on, on nurses across the country who have to face this. You know, what's really interesting too, is that these are situations that now the whole country is being exposed to because it's not only isolated to long-term care, it's, it's happening in acute care too. It's happening across all settings. And so the average person didn't really think about things like this, let alone somebody who is used to being in the long-term care setting, you wouldn't imagine such situations or be even able to prepare for it. So it's so critical that we can get this intervention help to those on the front line. And, and you know, Heidi, I, it isn't just, you know, I, I've also heard from ICU nurses who struggle because they are, you know, they're waiting for events. And so, people are dying and, and they're having to do this quick turnaround. And, I, I, you know, these nurses are suffering, like you said, across, it doesn't matter where you are, what setting you're in, you're seeing something that is causing you a lot of feelings that you may have never experienced before. Right, right. And you mentioned too that there are immediate consequences in the form of patient safety issues and that there are longer term consequences like burnout uh, and PTSD. What, what did you uncover when you were looking at that? The long-term effect of compassion fatigue and moral distress, it could be a number of different things. It could start as having reduced concern for the patients, maybe even avoiding interactions with the patients. And those two things right there, think about the impact on patient outcomes when we don't give it our all. It could be, you know, it, obviously we're going to have a reduced quality of physical care when people are suffering from these. You have absenteeism. And then lastly, you have people deciding to just leave the profession altogether. And that's what we need to avoid. We already are seeing a shortage of nurses. This is exactly why we need to talk about this, get this out in the open so that we can help people take care of themselves so they can continue to take care of the patients they serve. You know, one thing that really makes me 
even more upset and I'm sure exacerbates the injuries you just talked about is the outcomes that end up happening that are unfavorable. Those are the things that tend to get reported on social media, on the news, uh, that, you know, the, the worst case scenarios that happen because of the reduced physical or psychological care given to our seniors. And you know, what they don't report on is exactly what you're talking about here. Nobody intentionally allows their provision of care to slide, but this is something that is, I don't want to say unpreventable, but it is something that is just a, a result of having this constant barrage of stress and, uh, and challenge thrown at them with no relief. So one thing I think we can say to all nurses out there is really learn how to advocate for the importance of the work that you do. Get that out there in all vehicles that you normally communicate in so that people can see that this is a hard job. It's a skill-intensive job, and society is not for the better for lack of skilled, healthy nurses. No, you couldn't have said it better. That is so true. And, you know, I also, I want to leave listeners with something to think about and some things that they can do to help build and promote resilience. And the one thing I would say, the first thing, if, if you are feeling overwhelmed and many, 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 I see it, I see it on social media, nurses saying, I'm, I'm exhausted. I, feel guilty, I'm angry, I am not sleeping, I can hardly eat. So when I see those posts and they always tug at my heart, I think to myself, you know, you need what I affectionately call the buddy system, but really, I mean, the, the more appropriate term would be peer-to-peer to support mm-hmm. someone that knows what you're going through. So I might be going through something as a nurse and I might tell my husband, but he has no idea because he's not a nurse and he's not going through it. You right. need to find that peer-to-peer support, nurse-to-nurse. Do you know what I saw today? Do you know what I went through today? And talk it out because getting it out in the open and, and talking about it is very, very important. It's very cathartic, if you will, to to get these things off of your chest and not let them build up. And I've had people say to me, I had a nurse friend um, not that long ago, probably a few months ago, say, you know, I just need to push this into the back of my mind and I'll deal with this later. And I had said, you know, as her friend, I came forward and said, you know, I'm going to challenge you to dump that before it becomes this gigantic ball of ickiness that you can't put down. And it, it, it starts to eat away at you. It starts to, um, either you're going to pick up some bad habits. I mean, I, you know, she's my friend. I don't want to call her out or anything like that and say, you're you know, definitely going to have bad habits. But you know, I'm like, you have got to get it out on the table and, and sort through this. So just dump it, you know, don't hold it, get it out. And she shared with me, you know, she had in a couple of weeks' time, there was 28 patients who had passed away. And I said, so you were just going to like stuff that down. And for a period of time, I said, you know what, that, that could have really eaten away at you to the point where 
you could have left your job or left the nursing profession altogether and you are a fantastic nurse. So well, it takes, it takes energy too, to, to, to keep it compartmentalized. And I think many nurses just need to know that, especially in a pandemic situation, it's not your fault. Yes. And the efforts that you put forth are good enough and you're good enough. And, and even though outcomes may not be favorable, you're still good enough and you're still valued and you're still needed. And focusing on those little, the, the little things you know, the, the, the patients you make happy, the patient that you did something for that will, you think is so minute, but they are going to remember it the rest of their lives. So I think that's really important too. I, I think another thing that listeners should keep in mind is sometimes the weight of the things that have gone on, and especially this is especially true during COVID, mean we need professional help and it's okay to get professional help. And I think giving ourselves permission to get help and, you know, whether it's through the employee assistance or on your own, don't be afraid to reach out for help and say, I need something more than just a peer-to-peer support group at this point um, because I, I'm really struggling. I think it's important too, like you talked about the buddy system, mm-hmm. but it's also important for those buddies to know that they have another lifeline. And so if you are a nurse leader or even a leader or healthcare influencer of some sort, policymaker, to reach out and connect with those dyads of buddies so that uh, they don't share their burdens and end up taking on the burdens of their buddies, but rather it can alleviate the pain and and suffering of each other and then have that outside support to keep them grounded and and put that moral injury in the right place. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, any last minute thoughts on what either nurses individually can do or nurse leaders and the health systems can do to alleviate what you've been discussing? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. I am a huge fan of doing what I would consider emotional rounding. So um, checking in on the emotional well-being of your staff. If you are a nurse leader listening in. And if you are not doing this, I would highly recommend doing it. A lot of people will say to me, well, do you think I have time for this? And my response is, you don't have time not to try this because your staff is suffering and and it impacts them. It impacts outcomes, patient outcomes. It impacts everything we do. And it could impact the shortage of nurses in the future. So in a used to really go through and tell people, you know, just see what, what staff need. And I know we can't always give staff what what they need, but some, I have heard some really great things that organizations are doing. For example, one organization, if you work over, I think if you work, you know, a double shift or even, I think, I think it's double shift, 16 hours, actually, they offer Uber rides or, you know, ride share coupons for their staff to keep their staff safe. I mean, there's these, there was another organization that offered a a little mini grocery store. So brought in bags of essential groceries for their staff so they could just go home and rest or on-site. Yeah. On-site laundry. I mean, and, and the reason I bring this up is because 
when we did some surveys and talked to individuals about what their organizations were doing, it was these things that stood out. These little, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know, they're kind of tiny in some ways. Maybe I don't even need groceries, but it was the thought. And, and it was interesting because I had some, I had more than one person say, a pizza party is not the answer. And, and I guess I want to leave, that's kind of a funny little thing, but believe it or not, more than one person said, you know, our organization is offering us pizza, but we can hardly even take a break. So the pizza's not, the pizza seems more like a celebratory type of gift, you know, if you will, when we have time to actually eat it. Oh boy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just kind of funny, not pizza. And well, you think about all the energy it takes to sustain yourself as a person. And, you know, we have laundry, we have groceries, we have people that we take care of at home. All of these things take time and energy. And anything that you can do as an observer or an outsider or a leader that can take some of that energy requirement away and allow them to use that energy in either repairing themselves or in providing care. Those are the things that sound like they really make the biggest difference. Yeah. And, and when I talk about these emotional rounding, I used to think that we needed to be, it needed to be way more like, how are you feeling? How are you coping? Now I heard somebody say not that long ago, and I'm going to use this. All you need is a two word check-in. I'm going to check in with you. You give me two words of how you're doing. You can give me more if you want, but give me at least two words of how you feel because we're so busy. And I loved that two word check in. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how you are. I'm good. I'm not good. <laughs> you know, it could be two words, tired, um, right. tired and sleepy or ready to face the day, whatever it is, just so you're checking. So staff know that you care about them on a personal level and not and I, just as a nurse. Right. And I would think that trying to intercede where possible based on that feedback would be incredibly important too, Mm -hmm. so that they know that, you know, offering their feelings isn't going to get them in trouble. It's going to give them some help. Wow. This is such an incredible uh, set of data points and pieces of information. I'm wondering if there's any other uh, last pieces of advice or offerings to help encourage those that are on the front lines to help encourage leaders to provide better cultures and better support. What are your ending thoughts on this topic, knowing that this is a topic we could probably talk about forever? (laughs) You know, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. Other than here's one of the things I would, I, I say a lot about leadership. I think you asked about leadership, correct? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really think is hugely important, and that is reliable, transparent communication to your staff. And even, and I, I can't tell you how many speaking events I've even done on where I've had to kind of plug this in. And it's never been more important than right now. And I'll give you my last thoughts on this are when you are giving information that is clear and transparent and being first to give your, this information to your staff, staff, it, it builds trust and the staff trust you. Even when that information isn't good, 
-hmm. So, you know, it's important to be transparent. It's important to be credible. It's important to be reliable. And we are right now, as we're taping this today, in the heart of COVID gone rampant, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's more important than ever to share and be transparent with your frontline staff so they know what to, even when it's not good, they know they have the information. That's um, right. That's right. That there is a book out there by the name of the five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-hmm. And number one is lack of trust. So yeah. sounds like communication is the number one way to build trust, regardless of whether it's good or bad communication, right? Right. right. And my point being there is credible, credible, right. uh, you know, because one, uh, when you don't give staff the information, unfortunately, the gossip chain does, and it could be good, bad, or indifferent when it comes to that, you know, that, that avenue of communication. Right, right. And so um, if you have any other resources or places that our listeners could go to find more information, we can certainly post that in our show notes. And we really cannot thank you enough for the wonderful information that you've provided to us today and, and really bringing to light something that we, we haven't really been the best at talking about and, and dealing with. So thank you so much for this. We can't thank you enough. And for our listeners, again, we will provide some resources in our show notes so that uh, you can use those. And then use RN Huddle to try and disseminate some more information on this moving forward. So thank you so much for everything, Amy. We, we just are so in awe of what you're doing and so appreciate your leadership and willingness to take this on. Well, thank you. And that's all we have for today's episode of RN Huddle. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to a great nursing leader, Amy Stewart, talk to us about moral distress and compassion fatigue. This is, again, uh, an issue that takes more than, than one episode to really tackle. So thank you for listening to the episode. And uh, if you have any thoughts or suggestions, we're open to them, just go to our website, www.unmc.edu slash CNE. We'd be happy to take those in and process them for you. That's all we have for today at RN Huddle. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.